Welcome to Pullback, the podcast that digs into the ethics behind everyday choices. We are a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network, and you can check out our partner shows at harbingermedianetwork.com. I'm Kyla Hewson, and I'm here introducing an encore episode. This is going to be the last encore that we re-release for ever? I don't know, at least for a while. We've got new and exciting things coming in the new year, and we're going to be making a big announcement on our next proper episode, which will be coming out next week. It is our New Year's quiz, which is our favorite thing to do every year. We have some amazing guests that will be joining us for our panel quiz, and we'll be making our big announcement then, so tune in. Today, though, we are re-releasing our very first Christmas episode, wherein we talk about all of the ways that Christmas is a little bit problematic, and not in the way you think. Just kidding, if you've been listening to any of our episodes ever, then you'll know exactly what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about shopping, we're going to talk about Christmas trees, we're going to talk about... I forget, I haven't listened to it again in a while. But I remember really liking it. I think we ended up recording this one twice because one of our mics failed. This is like episode five. This is early days. And then when we re-recorded, the whole thing came through Kristen's like mic on her headphones instead of like the microphone that we specifically got. It's podcasts are a joy to make, you guys. And I really hope you enjoy Kristen and Kyla, three years younger. So this is going to be a a special holiday episode, which is exciting, I think. (laughs) Yeah, we're basically Grinch and Scrooge, though. I don't know if we're coming up as Cindy Lou Who in this one. (laughs) No, not so much. Um, Yeah, so Kyla and I, we're going to just ruin Christmas for all of you. Um, Well, hopefully not, but uh, we'll talk about the ethical minefield surrounding this, like, most capitalist time of the year. I feel like we've accidentally ruined it for ourselves, and now the only way I can make myself feel better is to drag down our listeners <laughs> with us. I know, and it's the worst because we're going to be like doing this episode on, uh, it's going to be released on Christmas Eve, so it'll be way too late for you guys to change any of this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's really the, the, the best part about our cruel scheme. <laughs> We're like, we're just, we just want you to feel bad. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like literally, literally Grinch was walking in just like ruining the Christmas tree. and like. I mean, honestly, I know. So for our challenges, we sent each other ethical gifts. And I did that before doing my research. And already I feel bad. And I was trying to be ethical. I know. I think my gift was so unethical too. <laughs> <laughs> The most ethical gift is no gift at all. And I was like, well, that's shit. So I sent you a gift anyways. (laughs) Gifts are fun. It's okay to have fun. Um, Okay, so maybe we'll talk a little bit about... I've got a bit of a Christmas dilemma. Because I feel like holidays are always really tough when you're trying to, to live to, like, ethical values. Because you've suddenly got all these, like, family boundaries that you have to sort of interact with, too. You know? Like, even... As a vegetarian, it's pretty easy. My family gets it. Um, but like even going to family events, it's like, oh, people have spent all this time making food and you're not necessarily able to eat it. Or like in, in the case of my family this year, uh, we're trying to figure out how to change a family tradition uh, because it's a very wasteful one. So what we had been doing for a couple of years, just as like a fun activity was um, essentially you start with a small tape ball. And um, you like put in like little chocolates and other like small gifts and you tape around it until you get like a tape ball that ends up being like the size of somebody's head basically. 
it, the activity is like you go around in a circle and like you take off as much tape as you can and anything that falls out while you're untaping like is yours in that period of time. Oh, Kristen, that's adorable. It is, but it's also like so wasteful. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> uh, tape is not great for the environment, but also... <laughs> no. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, my mom's very sweet and she asked me... Uh, because I had mentioned last year that it bothered me a little bit. Uh, not like during the event, because I'm not an asshole. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I mentioned it to her. I was like, I'm not sure I love this activity. It's fun, but like it's pretty wasteful. And she actually took that to heart. But now it's sort of on me to come up with something equally fun that's not wasteful. And I've realized that basically every Christmas tradition is really wasteful. Fun is wasteful. <laughs> I don't know. The thing that I'm thinking about doing is somebody suggested personalizing a version of the game Taboo. Um, and so making that like family references, which sounds like a lot of work, but it also sounds pretty fun. So I might do that. <laughs> well, and Kristen, if you're good at anything, it's work. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That sounded like I was being facetious. I'm being genuine. <laughs> She's really good at work. Uh, that basically means I have no life, but it's all good. Let's talk a little bit about Christmas. Uh, so the holidays are the most wasteful time of the year. Waste increases by about 25% over the holidays, and the amount of garbage that we produce uh, is truly obscene. You have a stat on gift wrap, don't you? I sure do. I heard this on the radio. I didn't fact check it, but I love it, and I'm going to share it anyway. So if it's wrong, <laughs> at me, I guess, but don't. So I heard that 540,000 tons which is equal to four CN towers of gift wrap fill the landfills in Canada every year. That's just gift wrap. A ton is a seventh of an elephant. I don't know if that episode is dropped yet, but I, <laughs> I went, oh yeah, that was our teeth. Yeah, so it did drop. So in my teeth episode, I was like, just in case anyone needs a reference, one ton is a seventh of the biggest elephant. Or about a baby elephant. Oh, baby elephants. So there's 540,000 baby elephants entering our landfills and gift wrap every year. Yeah. And it's a real problem because most gift wrap can't actually be recycled. Um, and it's also like a thing you use for about 10 seconds to rip apart. I don't know. This is another area in which I'm like the least fun person at Christmas in my family. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. I haven't used <laughs> gift wrap in years. It's fun, but just get a bag or wrap stuff in cloth. You know what I mean? Lush has some really nice cloth, but they're expensive. So you can also just use dirty old t-shirts that you hate and maybe dye them or something. Yeah, so I've got, I found some stuff on like when you can recycle gift wrap and things like that. For, because it's the 24th and probably you've already wrapped your gifts and whatnot. Um, this will maybe help you <laughs> decide what to do afterwards. Paper gift wrap and cards can sometimes be recycled, but um, a lot of the gift wrap that we have is like glossy or it's sparkly because that's the coolest looking stuff to be real. Um, but that just means it's not recyclable pretty much all the time. So if you're trying to figure out whether a uh, gift wrap that you have is recyclable, a good rule of thumb is trying to scrunch the paper into a ball. And if you can successfully scrunch it and it stays scrunched, that probably means it can be recycled. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And gift wrap, um, even if it can be recycled, it's not necessarily great to recycle because usually, I mean, the purpose of buying gift wrap is to have something like pretty and colorful. Um, and like in, in using a lot of dyes makes it more difficult to recycle. So even if it is recyclable, it's not great uh, for that reason and also because a lot of municipalities won't recycle gift wrap at all. I looked up and Toronto does, um, but I don't know about like your, whatever municipality listeners are, are in. 
So make sure you're like Googling your municipality before you're throwing stuff in the recycling. You also have to remove sticky tape and decorations like ribbons and bows because those can't be recycled. If you throw it in, that's actually a big deal because it can contaminate an entire batch of recycling. So you really don't want to do that. Oh, nobody takes the tape off. I know I don't. I know you have to. Otherwise, basically, if they if um people at recycling facilities will if they see stuff that they know isn't recyclable, they'll just like trash an entire bag of recycling. So that small piece of tape, if you like, if you're too lazy to take the tape off, just don't put the the gift wrap in there. Otherwise, you're gonna ruin all the rest of the recycling that you have. So <gasps> don't do that. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Such a downer. Yeah. So. <laughs> If you do receive presents that are in non-recyclable gift wrap, um, an option for you maybe is to try reusing it. So I found an article that had a few different ideas and I'll just share some of the ones that I thought were actually good ideas. <laughs> some of them were pretty lame. Um, so one option is to roll them onto empty tin cans. So if you like need a container for scissors, pens and pencils and you already have gift wrap, you can use that. Um, you can also shred it and use it in packaging or in shipping to prevent breakage. Um, and you can use it to cover like photo maps. So if you want, um, if you want a photo frame to look a little bit prettier, you could color it with, you could cover it with the gift wrap that you have, or you can of course like fold it, save it and reuse it for next year. So even if it's not recyclable, it can get used a couple of times. I read a really good quote. I think it was from metrovancouver.org. I'll double check that. But basically it said before buying something like wrapping paper or decorations or just anything in general think about where it's going to end up when you're done with it yeah i think that's just a good rule for life uh, i think that the end use of a product there is a, a debate though on whether reusable is better um because it depends on how much you i mean the, the short answer is with anything for reusable it depends on how many times you're going to reuse it and how sort of energy intensive it is to produce um, or like water intensive or land intensive or whatever there is the option of using reusable gift bags or fabric wrap but that's tricky if you're giving it to somebody and you don't know if they're going to reuse it or not that's kind of like a tricky decision to make i'm the worst if i give somebody a gift bag and i don't trust that they're going to use it after they get their gift out i just like take the gift bag back <laughs> Yoink. Nobody has called me on that yet, but maybe they're just like, maybe they just think I'm super weird and they don't want to call me. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea if like you don't know. I don't know. I know in our family, all of our reusable gift bags just go in my parents' basement. So it's pretty easy. I Whenever I come back for the holidays, I just fish them out again, you know. So yeah, I wasn't able to find that much information on how paper and plastic gift wrap um, are produced versus reusable fabric. But um, if we like take the assessment based on a plastic bag versus paper bag, that feels roughly approximate. So there was a study done in the UK that found you need to reuse a cotton bag 131 times to match the emissions of a plastic bag. And that's basically because of the emissions, like cotton's a very emissions intensive product. But there are other kinds of reusable bags that only need to be used four or 11 times. It's just that cotton's really thirsty. The general point is basically like, just like with plastic versus reusable bags, when you're thinking of plastic, if you're thinking about paper or plastic versus reusable gift wrap, you have to use it at least a few times for it to sort of make back that emissions intensity and water usage and things like that. So there is... Um, a little bit of disagreement on this, though, because there's like, well, I mean, we'll do an episode on this, I think. But depending on whether you take a sustainability or a climate approach, you might decide that reusables are worthwhile or not. 
So by emissions, it can sometimes be better to recycle or even throw out a single-use item rather than to reuse. But if you're thinking about it from the perspective of like, I want to honor the Earth's resources, um, then like using a resource once and having it burnt or sort of sitting in a landfill isn't great. Um, so if you're if you're interested in sort of more on how that general debate shakes up, uh, Planet Money actually did two really good episodes on recycling. Um, I think they're episodes 925 and 926, so I would really recommend checking those out. So you can also make reusable bags, which I think is a pretty good option. You can either get new fabrics, um, and if you're doing that, try to get sustainable fabrics, um, or you can upcycle... Or go to a secondhand shop. Yeah, go to a secondhand shop, or even just upcycle old clothes that you don't want anymore. I have like a really sparkly shirt that I don't think I'm going to use for anything else. Uh, <laughs> it's got a hole in it, so I can't bring it to a secondhand shop. So I think I'm going to make Grease Blicket Wrap out of it. Or you could wear it when we do our recordings, because I'm wearing a hat right now because my hair was too bad even for audio. And I would love to see you in a sparkly, dirty, holy shirt every time you're <laughs> recording. Thank you. It's not dirty. It just has a hole in it. <laughs> <laughs> I wash my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're a hippie. Washing your clothes is bad for the environment. We've already talked about this. No, we haven't released the laundry episode yet. No spoilers. <laughs> uh, so do you want to talk about Christmas trees for a bit? Yeah, I think you spent a long time on Christmas trees. You sent me a message that was just like, I am still looking at Christmas trees. And I was like, how has this much time passed? <laughs> I read like two articles that basically implied that Actually, the plastic versus live tree debate is more complicated than you thought, yes. which to be fair, I hadn't thought about it. So it would have been more complicated no matter what it was. <laughs> yeah, Christmas trees, they're iconic. They're a huge part of how we decorate for the season. I looked into two different values on Christmas trees. The first one was the environment, which is where a lot of the conversation is happening. And then the second one is labor, which is a little bit less of a... Like, you don't hear people talking about labor and Christmas trees very often. Yeah, who cares about lumberjacks, am I right? <laughs> oh, Kristen raises her hand. Kristen cares about lumberjacks. I care about lumberjacks, too. To all of our lumberjack <laughs> listeners, I care. Well, do you remember that log roller song? I really feel like that left a lasting impression on me in terms of how I feel about lumberjacks. Kristen, I am always listening. I'm not even joking you. I'm always watching that YouTube video. I get really weird targeted advertising. Okay, part, let me explain myself. We're going to share this. The, it's called the Log Driver's Waltz. <laughs> and in the last 12 months, I've probably watched it maybe five or six times, which is a lot considering it's not, it's a really weird video. But it's because I've been traveling and people are like, oh, what's Canada like? And I just think it's the most... It's just a really great video to show people, I don't know, the spirit of Canada. Look, I okay, I, I said I would explain myself, and I guess I can't. I just love that song. <laughs> it makes me really happy. It reminds me of my childhood, watching cartoons on a Saturday morning, and it comes on between episodes of a TV show. Yeah, what was with that anyway? Like, <laughs> It must have been like a Canadian content It seemed to always thing. be on the TV. Yeah, I don't know, it's so weird. But yeah, it's a, it's a weirdly catchy song, um, and I think... If you pulled a random sample of Canadians, most of them could give you at least some of the lyrics to that song. If you ask any girl from the parish around what pleases her most from her head to her toes, she'll say, I'm not sure that it's business of yours, but I do like to waltz with a log driver, for he goes burning down and down like water. <laughs> That's where the so anyway. 
Anyways, Christmas trees. <laughs> anyway, we care about lo- like uh, lumberjacks, I-, I guess. Anyway, uh, Christmas trees. <laughs> it's like weirdly rude to lumberjacks. Sorry. Uh, okay, so if you live in the states, uh, it is likely that your Christmas tree is coming from four, one of four states. So. If you're from the western half of the country, it is probably coming from Oregon. Otherwise, uh, a Christmas tree that you're buying is probably coming from North Carolina, Michigan, or Pennsylvania. So Oregon is the country's largest Christmas tree producer, and it cuts more than 6 million Christmas trees down annually. That's a lot of Christmas trees, and that is just for the American market. Like, that's not even, not touch on the rest of the world. That's just one country. And that's really just one state. I don't know. It's very sad. I I was through some of the Oregon forests last year and um, a lot of them look like they're not in great shape. So this made me, it made me really sad to think that like, there's so much forestry going on. And like, I know they're on um, tree farms, but still. This is actually completely off topic, but that is very similar to a statistic that I have for turkeys. So yeah, sorry, not to change the subject, and we're not going to go on too much of a rant about this, but according to the National Resources Defense Council, 6 million turkeys wind up in the trash, or they did in 2016. So 6 million, what a number. 6 million? Wow. 6 million turkeys ended up in the trash in 2016. And I guess that's just people like not finishing their turkey and throwing it away and like just add it up to like 6 million turkeys. Yeah. So do you want to keep talking about Christmas trees? <laughs> <laughs> I have to just sit with how depressing it is that there are 6 million turkeys that not only like, that's not all of the ones that are killed. That's just the ones that are killed and literally nobody consumes them anyway. Fuck that noise. Yeah. So that's a fact that I found that I thought would really uplift this episode. Your 6 million trees statistic just goes hand in hand with my with my turkeys uh it's a big industry and i guess kyla how much do you know about um how christmas trees are harvested what do i know about how christmas trees are harvested (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) nothing i know nothing about how chris i just know that i drive past a lot in december and there's like a heaps of christmas trees there and i think to myself oh that's kind (laughs) of nice and then i drive away and i don't think about it anymore yeah pretty much me too until I did a lot of reading for this podcast, now a fair amount. Natural Christmas trees take a while to be farmed. And you can get, like, the smaller ones um, from, like, local tree lots. And from what I can see from the research, that seems to be slightly better. So there is an argument that Christmas trees aren't so bad for the environment. Uh, basically, uh, if you're getting a five or six foot Christmas tree, which seems to be what most people get... Um, It takes just under a decade to grow, um, and usually there's a tree that's planted in its place because there'll be like these big tree farms. They'll cut a bunch of the ones for that year, then they'll plant a new one, and then that section sort of waits for seven or eight years, and then they cut them down and plant a new one. That doesn't take into account the like environmental opportunity cost of using that land for like a natural forest or something instead of a tree plantation, but I don't know how much we you know, need to to take that into account because artificial trees are plastic and that's made of oil. So <laughs> I think that's kind of wild when you think about it because people really only have their Christmas trees up for like... A month, maybe. At max, like 30 days. Well, yeah. no, at max, if you're my mom, two or three months. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. But like, usually, usually it's like December, a December thing, you know? And so this thing that we enjoy for a month. And realistically, we're not even really spending that much time enjoying it until December like 24th. 
So maybe a week of actually actively enjoying the tree. Uh, and it takes a decade for that to grow, you know? A stat that I was able to find was that about 80% of Christmas trees in the States are artificial. I imagine that must be broadly similar across like Canada, the UK, places like that. So most of us have artificial Christmas trees if we have them. And uh, those Christmas trees are made out of PVC plastic and a metal. So oftentimes it'll be steel. Sometimes they are recyclable, oftentimes they're not. Um, even if they are recyclable, they usually don't get recycled. Um, even the like, there's this association that makes artificial Christmas trees and they did this like life cycle analysis of artificial versus natural trees. And even they recognize that like, we're not even gonna include the possibility of recycling in artificial trees for end of use because it just doesn't happen. Um, so if you do have an artificial tree before you get rid of it, check out whether it's recyclable. It might be. But usually it's not, so you'll have to reuse it or donate it. Donating it is usually a nice thing to do. Yeah, it? or just like keep using it until, I don't know, Forever? I don't know what the end would be. Yeah, it's <laughs> plastic and, and metal. It should use it until the end of time. Do you, do you use Christmas trees at all, Kyla? It depends on what my roommates want to do. Sometimes they already have a tree and we use theirs. Sometimes we buy like a little tree, either artificial or live. It's been basically different for me every year. So whatever answer you're going to give, I am guilty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And for me, um, I'm just never around over the holidays because I always go back for to out west for Christmas. So like the only time I ever had one was uh, when a friend of a friend gifted me this like sapling from tree planting and I had it growing on the balcony but I brought it in to be like my Christmas tree even though it was only like a foot tall and I accidentally tricked it into thinking it was spring and then it died when I put it back outside. <laughs> There's a lot of information that's out there on whether it's environmentally better to go with artificial or real Christmas trees and uh, actually Canadian Tire recently gotten some shit because they had an ad that like implied artificial Christmas trees were good for the environment and then like a bunch of environmentalists got mad and it was a whole thing. <laughs> Shame on you Canadian Tire, you know better. That's one of the companies I missed when I was living abroad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Canadian Tire, for people that aren't Canadian, it's, it is the most bizarre place. You can get pretty much anything at a Canadian Tire from like... And like nice stuff too. Like yeah. <laughs> if I'm like, oh, I can't find this household or car related item, Canadian Tire will for sure have it and they'll have the best version of it. Yes. It's like, where can I go? I would like sort of to get replacement light fixtures. Plus I would like a trashy novel and I want Cheerios and a blender. Like... You can get all of those things and way more at Canadian Tire. <laughs> and I want a seat cover that has like a cat's face on it. So when people walk past my car, they're like, is there a giant cat driving that? And then they have to look twice and be like, no, that's just a weird seat cover. Yep, Canadian Tire. Yeah, such a weird store. Yeah, if you guys want to sponsor us, please do. Although we're about to say something, we just said something mean about you. So <laughs> maybe not. Well, I mean, uh, it is actually a debate though, right? Like, do you go with artificial or do you go with real? It's not so clear cut. Uh, but it does underscore sort of an ongoing debate, which is that depending on what you're thinking about the environmental impact of an artificial versus a natural tree, it can be complicated. So the main factors to think through are tree miles. So how far did the tree travel to get to you? Length of ownership. So how long are you using the tree? Which 
For natural trees, it's typically just for the one season, but for artificial trees, you can use them a lot longer. Um, and then disposal methods. So are you putting them in the landfill? Are you like composting or creating wood chips from your, your Christmas tree? Um, or are you incinerating it? And those all have sort of different footprints. Well, and the interesting thing about that is that if you are buying a real tree, obviously it's recyclable, it can be composted, except if it's been decorated with fake snow. So if you're buying a real tree that's been decorated with fake snow, it can't, I guess it, apparently it can't be recycled. So think about that if you're buying a tree. Wow, I did not even know that was a thing that happened to real trees. Why would you dust them with fake snow? Because it's festive, Kristen. There's enough snow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, but what if you're from Florida? <laughs> Not everybody's living in Toronto and Edmonton. <laughs> I don't have any snow. I'm in Vancouver. Yeah, but you've got like rain and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, rain is definitely the same as snow. Get out of here. <laughs> Does your family replace their artificial tree very often? Do they use a real tree? What's your family's story on that? So, I mean, I hadn't really, like, thought about this all that much, but I'm pretty sure we've just been reusing the same artificial tree, at least for a decade, for a really long time. I don't th I think we haven't replaced it. Well, you're doing way better than the average consumer, because I think I read a stat, I'll try and find it and share it, that the average consumer replaces their artificial tree every three years, which Holy is shit. pretty often. Yeah. yeah, that's like as often as people replace their cell phone, which also is too often. <laughs> yeah, so I think that kind of changes the debate a little bit because if I think you read a stat that artificial trees can be better than real trees if you're using them for longer than five years. But if the average person gets tired of their tree after three years and buys a new one or, you know, if you're moving... I get it. It's hard to like bring everything if you're moving house. And one of the first things you're going to get rid of is going to be your Christmas tree. It's a pain in the butt to move. So yeah. And uh, I mean, it is a little surprising to me that people replace it that often, but I guess they do change the style. So like, and if you're not paying a lot for a tree, maybe it seems like a thing you can replace a lot. But so a lot of the, the benefits of an artificial tree over a natural tree assume that you're using it for a long time. So there is a study, most of the articles that you'll read on which is better from an environmental perspective draws on the same study that's, it was commissioned by the American Christmas Tree Association or ACTA, which is uh, like, it's basically a group that represents artificial tree makers. It's like literally big Christmas tree did this study. I don't trust yeah, it. Yeah. So like, it's a little bit suspicious, um, but I did read the study and it, there are a couple of assumptions that I think might be a little generous on their part, but otherwise it actually seems like it was pretty good. Um, if there are any scientists that do life cycle analysis as their job that want to tell me from their expert perspective whether it's a good study or not, please do. But from my like educated layperson read of this um, study, it seems reasonably good, actually. Basically, what they do is they compare the most common artificial and natural Christmas trees that are produced in the States. So they say, okay, what's, what's the common natural tree? What's the common artificial tree? And then let's just compare the environmental footprint for a bunch of different uh, measurements. So according to that study, the most common artificial tree is typically manufactured in China. So then it gets shipped in shipping containers to the U.S. and it's distributed by a major big box retailer. So you can imagine a couple of different options on that. But basically, 
gets shipped across the world and then distributed at a major retailer. It is six and a half feet tall and weighs 11 pounds and it's made out of plastic and steel. When you go to natural trees, the most common one is a Fraser fir. The assumption in this report is that they're about six foot five as well. Um, and that they're cultivated on those big tree farms where they sort of like every seven to 12 years, like cut down a whole section and then replant. The study covers three different time periods of use. So they assume, they assume for the natural tree that you're using it for one year and that if they expand that over multiple years, then three years you'll use three trees, five years you'll use five trees. Um, and then they sort of weigh that against using one artificial tree for just a year and then replacing it versus using the same artificial tree for five years and for 10 years. And basically what they find is that um, an artificial tree is more energy efficient and more greenhouse gas emissions efficient by year five. That slightly depends on how you're disposing of the tree, but essentially if you're using an artificial tree for five years or more, then even if it's going into landfill, your overall energy and emissions footprint is smaller than using in five different natural trees. And also there's like a debate on um, whether sort of even just having, because plastic exists for like 500 years before it breaks down, right? So even if the emissions and energy is lower, it might still be better to use a natural tree um, because that can sort of be composted and used again as, a, as one of Earth's resources, right? So depending on your perspective, you could, you could still fall on the side of natural trees. But we have the best answer to come. The best solution. Do you want to tell them or shall I? Well, is it renting a tree? Yeah, it's renting yeah. a tree. <laughs> you can rent yeah, one. Yeah, so you can rent Christmas trees. Um, I know that this is an option in both Ontario and BC because I Googled it. So essentially what happens is you'll get a live tree, it's delivered with a root ball, and then it gets returned and either it's rented again next year or it gets permanently replanted. Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. You're so <laughs> happy. Um, and it's kind of nice with that too, because typically when you're renting a tree, it's co it's traveling at like a shorter distance. So your tree mileage is smaller. It can be more energy efficient in that way, but also the tree continues living for a longer time and continues to be, you know, help us breathe better and stuff. It's nice. Two other things to consider with environment and Christmas trees. If you are going to get a live tree and you're not going to rent one, uh, try to get one that is from a tree farm that's smaller and closer to you. Um, and also try to get one that is Forest Stewardship Council or FSC certified because that will ensure that the forest management uh, techniques used are sustainable. Great. Let's talk about lumberjacks. Uh, because Christmas tree farms require so much more labor over the holiday season, they'll draw often on temporary labor. And often that means it's migrant workers coming in and working really long shifts. So if you're going with big tree farms, uh, oftentimes the labor practices are not particularly good. And actually wage theft has been a strangely prevalent issue for Christmas tree farms. There were at least two major court cases that have come up in the last like 20 years or so um, mm -hmm. where they've been looking at major wage theft by Christmas tree uh, companies. So one was in 2002 where the practices were so rampant that the American federal government actually launched a lawsuit uh, so they were like, this is, this is too fucking wild. 
Uh, and then in 2017, there was a similar issue, but it was sort of the workers that themselves decided to successfully sue the Christmas tree company. That's, I didn't know yeah. that. That's surprising to me. Yeah. So, I mean, tree farms got to look at the labor practices as well, which is maybe another reason that if you can find a local tree producer that is willing to rent you a tree, that might be a great option for labor reasons too. Um, and just a last thing on Christmas trees, um, if you use LED Christmas lights, that saves some electricity. So it's too late for you because it's Christmas Eve, but <laughs> next year maybe. Next year. Although yeah. next year, maybe we should ruin Christmas again by talking about when it's worthwhile to replace lights versus reusing the same ones if they're less efficient. Now, people have gone out and gotten LED lights and then we'll tell them that was bad. Um, so do you want to do our challenges now? I want to open the present you got me. Yeah. Or have you opened the present I got you? Because it's about giving. No, okay. So <laughs> yeah, this present that you sent me has been sitting on my desk for nine days. Just, it could be anything, you know? So, so many possibilities. You want to open yours first? So let's start with the box. You've clearly sent this in a box that says, I'm not trash on the outside, which I love. So I'm going to reuse this box because it's it's actively shaming me if I don't. <laughs> I like So on the inside of the box, as soon as I open the lid, it says the average American makes 4.4 pounds of trash per day, but who wants to be average? <laughs> and this box is really judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's some paper on top. I'm just going to take that out. Some nice uh, recyclable paper. So right at the top, we have brush with bamboo, a bamboo toothbrush. We just released our teeth episode today. Yeah, yeah. No, I was when I was listening to the teeth episode, uh, you had mentioned that you hadn't replaced your toothbrush in a while. So I thought I'd throw that in there. <laughs> I like how <laughs> this is like a quietly judgmental gift. Okay, cool. It's not judgmental uh, at all. Just have another toothbrush. <laughs> <laughs> I love that this Plant-based bristles are made in the USA. Toothbrush handle is made responsibly in China with certified 100% organic bamboo. This product is non-GMO, non-toxic, BPA-free, and gluten-free. Kristen, thank you for sending me a gluten-free toothbrush. How did you know? <laughs> That's uh, the best gift I've ever received. Next up, let's see if we can top that. We have eucalyptus lemon deodorant stick. Nice. Oh, and it's in a paper container. So, like, when I'm done with my deodorant, I can compost my the thing holding the deodorant Ooh, it's fair trade and palm oil and cruelty free and biodegradable wow you did a better job on the gifts than i did i'll tell you right now it smells incredible okay what do we have next here oh oh yeah that i got you because it was aggressively on sale so i couldn't not <laughs> <laughs> wow okay so uh i'll have to post a picture of this it's hard to describe it's like a dark blue with green print on it. It's a it's a dress. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Made in India, 100% cotton so I can wash it <laughs> without having microplastics go into the Oh yeah, spoilers for our laundry episode. <laughs> so this is made in India and Nepal by Fair Trade Organizations. Uh Mata Traders garments are designed to empower both craftswomen and consumer and it's handmade. This is incredible. Thank you so much, Kristen. Uh, I'm really embarrassed about the gift that you're about to open from me now. But it was like so, this was so on sale. I was very excited Stop, about it. stop, stop. <laughs> this dress has pockets. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. So this is from 10,000 Villages. The sticker price is $84. We had a price limit of between $50 and $100. Uh, Kristen got this for $17. I know, right? So aggressively on sale. Honestly, Kristen, that's the real Christmas gift. (laughs) I've never seen a better deal. That's incredible. Okay. There's so much more stuff in here. Okay. Ooh, Conscious Step socks that protect sloths. (gasps) Yes, there's sloths on these socks and it's also from 10,000 Villages. Yes. It's made with 100% cotton. I'm going to wear these socks every day. It's going to be disgusting. Okay, let's see. Almost done. We've got... uh, Natural bamboo strip bandages with aloe vera. Because <laughs> I'm always hurting myself. <laughs> I just thought, like, next time you cut your finger, wouldn't it be nice to have some aloe vera? Natural bamboo bandages, too. So, I, okay, so, our, so band-aids, now, I've never thought about it, but band-aids must be terrible for the environment. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it either, but these ones are compostable, so that's kind of nice. Okay, and we're on the last item. Uh, we have lemongrass herbal tea. Bright, crisp, and caffeine-free. Mmm, my new evening tea. (laughs) Tea lover, meat tea grower. Okay, cool. So this is... Yeah, that one's fair trade as well, because I also got it from 10,000 Villages. Nice. I love it. So to find this delicious tea, we set out on a journey to the foothills of the Himalayas. Grown without chemicals in small gardens, this tea is hand-plucked and prepared by people we know and value. Ooh, what a package. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, great. That was incredible. Um, dare we... Do you want to say anything about any of those things? Or did we, do you want to open your gift? Um, yeah, maybe I'll talk a little bit about... Um, most of the items were from 10,000 Villages, which I looked into... I retroactively looked at the retailers. Um, so 10,000 Villages I feel decently good about. They're like a Canadian fair trade shop. They're like a social enterprise. So they're run by a nonprofit. And it's possible for social enterprises to make profit. But this one, I looked at their annual report for last year and they actually lost a little bit of money. So they I don't think they're really geared towards making profit. And that always makes me feel a little bit better because it means they prioritize their values. And it's essentially, it's a shop run by the Mennonite Central Committee. So it's like a religious charity, but um, they're not like one of the gross, hateful religious charities. They're a religious charity that... Um, does humanitarian things. So I feel perfectly fine about that. I realized though, in, in like retroactively looking at fair trade, that there are like a bunch of different kinds of fair trade labels. So we'll have to do an episode on that because um, they like the, the gifts that I got, you had like two different fair trade labels on them and they mean slightly different things. Um, but oh. generally, yeah. Yeah, they both seem fine. I always just blindly trust. I see a fair trade label and I'm like, cool, that's going to be the better sugar, um, which I'll talk about in a second when you open your gift, actually. (laughs) Yeah, Um, so I also lose some points on this for um, the deodorant I bought at Whole Foods and they're owned by Amazon. Yeah, okay, actually, we'll take a second right now because in our previously recorded episodes, we do talk about how we like to shop at Whole Foods and we never address that they are owned by Amazon because honestly, we forgot. Or at least I did. (laughs) And then we thought about it afterwards and we're like, oops, we are really embarrassed about how much we talked about Whole Foods. But I guess it comes down to what we've mentioned before, which is basically like, it's a company that's trying. And if we, if we're shopping ethically, then it's going to force the hand, like Amazon will see, oh, people care about this and hopefully it'll spread to more of their other business sides. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm generally of the view and I know, um, in the cruelty-free episode, we talked about like 
What do you do if the subsidiary is cruelty-free, but the parent company isn't? And there I was sort of for encouraging the company, but I've been thinking a lot more about this and just because of the way that Amazon's whole profit plan is around trying to sort of like get as much of the market share as possible, right? Their business model really depends on that. So maybe maybe that doesn't work so well in the case of Whole Foods. I don't know. I've been thinking more about switching to like, and I do already sort of shop at local waste-free and, and um, organic stores anyway. They're, it's easy in Toronto though, because there are lots of options and depending on where you are, like if the only place you can get those kinds of products, like the cruelty-free or vegan or whatever, then like, I don't know if you have to beat yourself up for shopping there, but definitely, definitely I'm going to try to shop there less. Yeah, and that's kind of my problem right now is that I know that there is a waste-free store in Vancouver, but it's super far from where I live and I don't drive and there's a Whole Foods across the street. So (laughs) I don't know. How do you you deal with those trade-offs basically? So anyway. Well, next time, Kristen, send me nothing. Well, I was thinking about there was, I was going to get you, um, I was thinking like, oh, I'll gift her an experience instead of a thing. I was going to do that too. I had that same thought. (laughs) And then I was like, we're... In different cities, that's hard because you never know what your schedule is going to be like. I can't send you tickets. Yeah, and also that seemed like a very boring thing to talk about on the podcast. (laughs) Uh, So should we do, can I open your... Yes, yes, please. I'm really excited. Ooh. Ooh, cookies. That's fun. I have a bunch of, are they chocolate chip cookies? They are, yes. Uh, I don't know how they're going to taste. So this is what happened. I sent them in a, a... brown paper Whole Foods bag that I used to get groceries recently, so I'm reusing. Nice. I probably should have sent them in a sealed container, though. They're going to be rock hard. Did you make these? I did. I made them from scratch. If we had recorded this episode, we meant... (laughs) (laughs) She's trying to bite into it. (laughs) Oh, my God. So I bet these were really nice when you made them, but I don't think I've ever been into a harder cookie. (laughs) (laughs) They've been in that brown paper bag in that box for two weeks. So, and they were a little bit hard when I baked them too. I can talk about the ingredients, but... Does this have ginger in it? Or has it just acquired a spiciness? (laughs) God, Kristen, stop. I was actually... (laughs) I'm watching her. I was like, I'm worried that I'm going to kill her with these cookies. So... Okay. It actually tastes pretty nice. It's just a little hard to chew. Um, I used white sugar that I already had in my house, so it's probably not super ethical. But I went and bought brown sugar, and I made sure to buy it with a fair trade lo- uh, logo. Probably still evil. We're going to do an episode on sugar, and uh-huh. I'm going to feel really bad about my purchase. Yes, we are. <laughs> and the butter that I used is... I found this amazing vegan butter from Earth Zone. And I've been using it and you can't tell the difference. Although I think you can tell the difference when you're baking because they came out a little bit weirder than I'm used to and it probably was the butter. Um, But the butter's really good. If you are looking for a vegan alternative, I love this butter so much. And then finally, the flour that I used for your cookies, which also might be part of the reason why they're bad. Instead of going out and buying new white baking flour, I just used the flour that I have in my house that I was going to use for bread. So it's like a wheat flour that's meant for bread and I don't know that it's meant for cookies so my cookies I make delicious cookies just don't judge my baking on what I said I almost didn't send those because they were so they turned out so weird and I was like but I'm gonna because it's gonna be funny no I honestly I really like the flavor of them uh they just need to be softened a bit because they've been sitting in a box for like two weeks (laughs) 
Yeah, look, if you end up not eating them, no hard feelings. <laughs> we'll see what you can figure out. Okay, next item. Ooh, a candle. Very nice. Yeah, that's a cop-out. I got it uh, for 25 cents at a second-hand store, and I just thought it would be nice to round out the box with something, and then I found out the candles are evil and we're probably going to have to do an episode on them, but it's second-hand. Wait, candles are so... evil? Why are candles evil? Maybe not. I didn't write this down. We'll do an episode on candles and... <laughs> I'm sure they are. I've just never heard about that before. I think something to do Why with Why did you get me evil? Look, I didn't... I retroactive. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like a nice... If your power goes out, you have a light. I don't know. So That's true. That's true. I don't have a candle in my ready kit. So. I mean, there's nothing special to it. I was just like, I want to send her more things. So <laughs> if I'd taken out the weird cookies and the useless candle, then your box would have been much cheaper to ship. So <laughs> <laughs> your gift is so much better than mine so far. Please keep going. There's better stuff in that box. I'm very happy. All right. So this is like in a box. It smells nice. Ooh, Flora soap. This is perfect. I'm almost out of soap. Yeah, I went to a waste-free shop. I went to a local waste-free shop and looked for the most ethical soap I could find. It's got. It's called uh, Flora, and it's small batch, and it's got lavender, bergamot. Is that how you say that? I don't know. Uh, it is now. Yeah, sweet orange and cedar. It's handmade and traditionally air cured for six weeks. So is it a is it a Vancouver company? Yes. Yeah, it's a local shop. It's, I'm pretty sure Vancouver based, I looked into it, but I forget now. And I'm, if I remember right, because uh, I bought that a while ago, it should be vegan. That's amazing. I'm very excited. It smells fantastic. And soon I will too. I got myself a <laughs> match. I got myself the same bar. So we'll be smell sisters. <laughs> Love it. All right. Should I move on to the next thing? Yeah. I see. Is this a picture of a yak or is this just a Highland cow? It's a Highland cow. Okay, so it's not Canada themed. I went to a flea market and I bought you a postcard because I needed to send you a card on something. That's actually, that was supposed to cost a dollar and I gave the guy a toonie and he never gave me my change. And out of social <laughs> awkwardness, I just walked away. <laughs> Classic. Uh, this is very sweet. So Kyla wrote me a nice note. She says, happy holidays. I know charities are your jam. I'm a charities researcher. Um, and I hope I picked a good one. Um, P.S. The Scottish cow has nothing to do with Meals on Wheels, the holidays, or ethics. I just saw it in a flea market and thought you'd like it. I did. So much that you paid twice the price for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's a $20 donation to East York Meals on Wheels. That's amazing. I love it. East York is the part of Toronto that I live in, so that was a great choice. That's amazing. Thank you so much. I love it. I probably spent between four and six hours researching charities, trying to find a good one to donate to, because I knew I was like, this is Kristen's, this is literally, she's writing a PhD on this. So I'm like, I need to be really careful, but I knew that I had to donate to a charity for you because that's easily the most ethical gift you can give someone. And I thought it would make up for the weird other stuff. So... It was a tough choice. Uh, I knew that you would probably appreciate anything I did, but I also wanted it to be a good charity. No, I like this a lot. Um, so I've actually, there's an article that, that I, I wrote that sometimes gets shared around the holidays because it basically gives advice on how to give. Um, and you've actually, you've sort of like organically in your process picked a lot of the like the good things for it. So I always suggest like, if you're going to give a one-time donation, um, try to pick something. I mean, first of all, like it is good to give monthly donations. So if it's not a gift, if it's something that you're thinking of for you, um, monthly is easy. Um, it's better for the charity. 
Um, but if you are giving a one-time gift, it's good to give locally um, and to give to causes that um, are sort of not as sexy. So Meals on Wheels oftentimes goes to like um, people people in like isolated communities. Um, it's not as, as sexy as some of the other causes. So I really enjoy this. Um, also, Easter Meals on Wheels. The fact that I hadn't heard of it before really makes me feel great about it because it means that it's small and local and that it probably could use like it'll do a lot with the money. So. Yeah, I I thought about just like sending you an IOU to your favorite charity, but I felt like that would be a cop out. So yeah, I did like a whole bunch of charity research. No, this is great. And it's also a nice shout out for East York Meals on Wheels. Honestly, there were so many charities that the whole exercise made me really sad that all of these services are so badly needed and I couldn't give very much and I could only pick one. So yeah. So there's one more gift, I think, in your box. Yes, I see. Ooh, it's a big picture. It's Two pictures, actually. Oh, they're very pretty. So one says Spirit of the Winds, and it's got sort of like um, a person. It looks like they're they're sort of levitating and enjoying the wind. And then the other one says Spirit of the Plains, and it's got um, a woman sort of looking into the sky, and there's, it looks like um, some kind of stylized version of a bird in the sky, which I think is meant to represent wind, I would guess. And then there are like a couple of teepees in the background. It's very pretty. If you flip those over, you'll see there's some information. So is Maxine Noel, she the artist then? Yes. Okay, yeah. So um, born in Manitoba and is of the Santi Oglagla Sioux. Um, I probably mispronouncing those. I apologize. Yeah, she um, was a residential school survivor, which if you're if you're not Canadian, is sort of um, an assimilationist uh, policy where basically missionaries ran these schools and there were horrendous abuses. And the last one closed in like the, I think in 1998, actually, it was really late. So yeah, she's a residential school survivor. And she she started as a legal secretary, um, but then sort of became an artist, it looks like. Well, it's great. Her surname translates to walk beyond, which I think is nice as well. I love this. This is amazing. And I'll need new art for my um, my Ottawa place when I move. So this is perfect. I love it, Kyla. It's so great. So I went to, I wanted to get you some art from a local art gallery, I guess. Uh, so I went to, um, again, I'm probably also going to say this wrong. I should have asked them while I was there. Wiccananish uh, Gallery. So it's on Granville Island. If you're not from Vancouver, that's a very touristy part of town. But it is a gallery that specializes in First Nations artwork. So when you go in, you can get like artwork from all sorts of different First Nations artists. And I spent a really long time looking at all of the different pictures. I got one for myself and I got two more for some other friends. (laughs) I really like that it tells you about the artist on the back. And I made sure to pick uh, art that... I thought you might like that was also done by a woman because I be a feminist. Although a lot of the (laughs) art by the men was also amazing. No shame for buying. So yeah, shout out to that gallery. I think that they're doing really good work. We'll share the pictures as well so people can see. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's perfect. Do you want to talk about online shopping and depress people again? Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk online shopping. I, I think I did more of the research on this part of the episode. It just worked out that way. Lucky us. I have some spending trends that I want to start out with, if that's okay with you. Sounds great. Shopping in general at the holidays is a little bit shocking when you look at the numbers. (laughs) Uh, So even before we get into the online shopping side of things, I want to start, I'm going to start back a little bit. I'm going to start with Halloween spending. So 
Shoppers say they will spend an average of $86.27, which is down a little bit from last year, but only, but like not by much. And that works out to $8.8 billion in total spending, uh, which is actually down from last year's, I think it's record-breaking, $9 billion spend. And that's just on Halloween. That's just on Halloween. That's from the National Retail Federation website, which I'm going to link to because I did a lot of my research using their numbers, which I think were pretty trustworthy. Okay, so the same National Retail Federation survey that was talking about Halloween spending also looked at the most popular Halloween costumes for adults, children, and pets. And I'm just going to tell you the top five best, well, just the top five Halloween costumes for pets. So this is what people were dressing their animals of, uh, as. 9.3% pumpkins. I, I think actually your friend Kathleen has dressed her dog as a pumpkin before. She has a little mini uh, Dachshund. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I know she's dressed her as a shark before. Is that on the list? <laughs> It is. It's number, I think it's number 10 on the list. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, at number two, though, 7.2% hot dog. Nice, nice. That's on theme, I feel. Number three, and this is what she did this year, if Instagram is anything to go by, 7.2% <laughs> dress their dogs or cats as superheroes. Nice. Yeah, I think your friend, uh, I think she did her dog as Batman and she went as Robin. Yes, I, I do correctly. remember that, yeah. Number four is Bumblebee. <laughs> and number five is Cat. So like 3% of people dressed, I assume, their dogs That's as cats. Weird. <laughs> I don't know if I like I know. that. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on from Halloween... Of course, American Thanksgiving is at the end of November, and that's one of the biggest retail shopping bonanzas of the year. Yeah, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Yes, yes, yeah. So Thanksgiving weekend draws nearly 190 million shoppers, spending up 16%. Oof. That's the name of the article that I was looking at from the, Nas uh, the National Retail Federation that talked about what kind of spending people are doing. Shoppers, so this is a quote from the National Retail Federation. Federation, shoppers spent an average $361.90 on holiday items over the five-day period, so that Thanksgiving shopping weekend, basically. Of the total, $257.33, or 71% of the buying that people did, was specifically spent on gifts. The biggest spenders were 25 to 34-year-olds at $440. Whoa! People like their friends and family more than <laughs> I do. Although, honestly, actually, $440 does sound about what I would spend on Christmas shopping if I was really going hard on gifts, and probably I might, so we'll see. So basically, yeah, people are spending a lot of money on gifts, and a lot of these gifts are things that I, one of my other jobs is for a store, so I was working on Black Friday, yay, <laughs> and I got to see the sort of stuff people are buying, and I ask people, like, I'm pretty friendly at the checkout, I want people to have a good experience, so I ask them, like, oh, who's this for? And a lot of people are just buying junk that they'll have to give to people maybe if they forgot that, oh, I have this work person I need to buy for or last minute gift ideas for. So people are just wow. buying stuff without even, this is just obviously this is anecdotal, but a lot of the people I spoke to, at least in Vancouver, are buying stuff because it was on sale because maybe they'll find someone they can give it to. So they're not even buying gifts with purpose. So a lot of the stuff that they're gifting is just 
oh, I forgot to buy something for my kid's friend's mom. So I'll give her this thing that probably she won't even want. You know what I mean? Because it wasn't even deliberately chosen for that person. No, honestly, like, I mean, as a a grad student, I don't so much have this social pressure, but a lot of the, like, a lot of my friends have to buy a whole bunch of gifts for people in the workplace, like, even if they've not been working somewhere that long. And the norms are super confusing, so I totally get that, but it's so wasteful. And does anybody honestly like any workplace gifts they ever receive? Yeah, it's, I mean, lots of people probably do, I guess, but you get that generic hand cream or (laughs) a weird blanket or something, you know what I mean? A weird blanket. I know we're supposed to be talking about online shopping in this section, but a lot of my research in online shopping kind of, because I wanted it to be holiday themed as well, led into what people are spending. So I have another good statistic on money. So the National Retail Federation defines the holiday season as November 1st through to December 31st and has forecast that sales will total between 727 and $730 billion. Consumers expect to spend an average $1,047.83, including purchases made earlier for an increase of 4% over last year. So for holiday spending, they're spending over $1,000. And I was like, oh, $400 is about what I would spend. That's just that weekend. That's just that <laughs> shopping weekend. In total, people are spending like $1,000. So going into debt, a lot of people are going into debt to do their Christmas shopping. So, yeah, you know, if you're spending less, it's better for your wallet. It's better for the planet. Do an experience. Do... Just don't give a... I mean, just don't give a gift to your friend's mom's co-workers you know like I don't know I don't know I don't know it's like you said earlier it's a social norm yeah it's yeah it's just there's so many expectations yeah I do I'll, I'll usually gift like um I try to make homemade stuff so I'll I'll bake a lot of stuff and if you present it really nicely it looks like a nice I, I mean yours was presented like shit in that like in that paper bag but I'll I'll usually present them a lot nicer and gift it that way which is much cheaper for me but yeah it's a lot of pressure. People are grumpy when they go shopping at Christmas too. And it's like, this is supposed to be a cheerful season. Why are we all so stressed out and anxious? Yeah, so I guess this is a really good way to segue into online shopping. So last year, Cyber Monday was the biggest shopping day for Amazon in the history of the company. And the trend extends beyond the holidays. So uh, the this is a this is like a quote from theverge.com, like I found a really good article on this that I'll share, but U.S. Postal Service deliveries have doubled to $6.2 billion in 2018 from $3.1 billion in 2009. So in less than a decade, postal service deliveries have doubled, which is something that I think people wouldn't have guessed yeah. 10 is years ago. Yeah, is that because, you know like, I mean? is it that people are shopping more or are they just shopping online and not going, like, are they switching from Black Friday to Cyber Monday, you know? yeah well and I think a lot of people are doing their Black Friday shopping online nowadays too Mm, but I don't have the numbers for that for sure there's yeah the thing about the holidays in general is just that like it's like we said before it's a consumption bonanza and companies are really good at using psychology to 
get you to spend more money. So they'll use deceptive sale and clearance pricing. So you'll see something that like normal price $39.99, discounted price $19.99, but really that shirt that you're looking at has always been worth $19.99. They just like mark it up. I think a bunch of companies were actually sued for that. I have a source here. Yeah, apparently in 2016, stores including JCPenney, Kohl's, Macy's, and Sears were all sued over the deceptive practice of marking up the retail price of merchandise just to mark it down again. So those companies probably don't do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But it's something that does exist. So those jerks. (laughs) A lot of companies. Yeah, some like there's a I'll I'll share an article on this because it's really fascinating how companies get you to spend money. But another really common tactic is just to end a price with a nine. Um, like the difference between $199.99 and $200 is one cent, but it's like a psychological trick that the first price looks like it's way cheaper than the second price, which is something I've been aware of as a retail monkey for a long time, but I think a lot of other people don't think about. So I'll share this really cool article uh, that just kind of goes over how you're being tricked into spending more money. And it's not that it's not that companies are evil. It's that they have a priority and they know how to get you to spend money. Like that's their that's what they exist to do, right? So I don't know, shrug. (laughs) (laughs) You can at least if you're armed with the tactics that they use, at least you can if you're going to spend, at least you can do it like because you want to and you kind of know what you're looking at. But I'm still a sucker for it. Like, I'll see something and I'm like, I know what you're doing, but I'll you know, especially the sale trick where something's been marked down. I'm a sucker for a sale. Yeah, although I've been trying to be better about really thinking about everything I buy and asking myself, like, do I actually need this, you know? That's honestly, yeah. And I've been, because I've been traveling for so long, it's been a lot easier for me because it's like, does it fit in my suitcase? (laughs) No. How badly do I need it? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, and for the longest time, you were just traveling with that little, like, backpack. (laughs) I was surprised anything could fit in there. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really proud of myself for that. (laughs) I'm wearing my smug face right now. Yeah, that's something I'm really pleased about. But yeah, to circle back to Amazon, I mean, it's really hard to talk about online shopping without talking about Amazon. Obviously, they're the giant in the room, the elephant in the room of online shopping. I will say that when I was researching for this episode, they do have a few green initiatives. And when a company is as big as Amazon, it's kind of nice, I guess, that they're even paying lip service to it, although it'd be nice to see more. So I'll just go over a couple of the things that they're doing. So Amazon says that it has eliminated more than 1.18 billion shipping boxes since 2008 through its sustainable packaging initiatives. It's even threatened to fine third-party sellers for not reducing packaging waste. However, Amazon's strict standards have inadvertently led to a boom of repackaging centers that unbox and then rebox goods to make them fit to ship, which leaves <laughs> behind so even shitty. more garbage. So, <laughs> and that's a quote. <laughs> that's a quote from The Verge, like that article from The Verge that I'll share. So I'm actually going to share it. Yeah, that ar- that whole article is actually pretty impressive. There's a lot to unpack there, pun intended. It's all about, uh, <laughs> it's all about recycling cardboard and just kind of what the waste is that they're looking at. So yeah, it's one of those things where you, it sounds good, but then when you look at it, the, the actual stuff that's happening, maybe not. I'll, I'll go on to say that This is from an article from uh, macrotrends.net that I will share that seemed like a pretty good source. 
But um, Bezos said Amazon would continue to work with energy companies. So to ask oil and energy companies to do this transition with bad tools is not a good idea, and we won't do that, Bezos said. So yeah, they're going to keep working with oil and energy companies, which sucks. And no matter how he wants to phrase that, that's not great. Amazon is also pledging $100 million to restoring forests and wetlands. So that sounds like a lot of money. And I, (laughs) just to put it in perspective, I went and looked at Amazon's profits. And there's quite a few, there's quite a bit of information about Amazon's profits. So the one that I found the most interesting was from that same Macro Trends article. Amazon's profits for the fourth quarter of 2018 were slightly less than the profits for all of 2017 combined. So it's growing rapidly. Like if you think Amazon is already big, like it is, it's snowballing. Well, it looks like uh, they were like loss leading for a number of years, weren't they? Like they were trying to undercut other companies by deliberately being cheap and not making a profit. It's working. So basically, (laughs) in in the fourth quarter of 2018, which, as I said, was slightly less than the profits for all of 2017, their profits were $3.027 billion. And in 2017, their whole, the the profits for the whole year, apparently, were $3.033 billion. I'm not an economist, but (laughs) $100 million on $3 billion. I guess there's a lot of initiatives that they're doing. It's just that, okay, here's here's another number just so that you can understand why this upsets me. Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, is worth $109.1 billion. So yeah. he could fund reforestation all by himself at 10 times what he's doing and not even touch the profits that Amazon is dealing with. So... Yeah. Yeah, or at the very least just uh support municipal homelessness, like taxes to fund affordable housing and homeless shelters. If Amazon wasn't so obstructionist on that, that would help, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So basically, they have um a few green initiatives, but when you look at them a little bit deeper, it's, it's not greenwash ultimately. Yeah, yeah, in my opinion, it's not enough. They they are pledging to become carbon net neutral by 2040. I mean, whether they do it, we'll we'll have to see. They are going to roll out a whole bunch of electric vehicles for their deliveries, but I don't know. The online delivery system is complicated, and we're going to get into that in a second. I guess it kind of goes without saying that, obviously, if you're shopping online, it's generating more waste than if you're just going to a store and picking something up off the shelf, because a lot of stores can buy stuff in bulk, and it'll come packaged in bulk, whereas obviously, not obviously, whereas a lot of the time when you're buying something, you're just buying one of it, and it has to be individually wrapped. So on that front, it's it's probably better to still go to a store, but the debate gets really interesting when you start looking at emissions. You had a couple of things to say about that that lead nicely into my facts and figures. Sure, yeah. So um, I looked at a study that was done by a guy named Dimitri Wydeli. Um, And he was at the time a master's student at the MIT Center for Transportation and Logistics. So basically what he did was he tried to figure out, is the carbon footprint bigger if you're shopping online or if you're shopping in store? And he looked at like a few different configurations of how you might do that. And basically what he found was that in-store shopping has a larger carbon footprint than online shopping. 
However, rushed online shopping was way worse than both in-store and regular online shopping. So most of an in-store shop an in-store shopper's carbon footprint basically comes from the emissions that are used in transporting those goods from the store. So it's like in the car ride to the store and from the store. So he assumed that people were going to be driving and I think chose like a standard distance to um, include for the emissions. I don't know. I think for me, probably it is still better to go in store because that sort of large section, my carbon footprint's reduced because I do not have a car because in Toronto, that would be nonsense. <laughs> Same in Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I know a few people that have a car here, but it just seems like, I mean, I like supporting public transit, first of all. And secondly, it just sounds like way more hassle to have a car. Like public transit is so reliable. I complain about it constantly, but it's reliable. <laughs> no, I, that's how I feel too. Like every time my my friends all have like a, not all, but if, quite a few of my friends have cars and I'm like, oh, it just seems like so much trouble. I, I used to have a car way like back a few years ago and it's just maintenance and parking and yeah. driving stresses me out. And so no thanks. I'll, I'll just live on top of a SkyTrain station. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, and depending on like where you live, it may be very necessary to have a car. And so then like considering the in-store footprint of, you know, you having to drive to your store probably does make a difference, but yeah, not yeah, not to shame anybody who lives in, out of reach of public transit. Like I understand that obviously some people do need to drive, especially in Canada, we don't have a, a super reliable public transit network outside of basically downtown Vancouver and Toronto. And, and Montreal. Of, Montreal is pretty good. And Montreal, yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people live rurally, especially, like, I'd say the yes. prairie provinces, particularly, you kind of have to drive. We just have, like, such a low population density that it makes it hard to support good public transit. And then there's also the, the second problem that we completely underfund it everywhere. So anyway, that's where the biggest chunk of your carbon footprint comes from when you're shopping in-store. It's the drive to and from the store. So for online shopping that's a little bit more efficient, the transport to the store um, or to you, you know. Um, so most of the carbon footprint in that comes from packaging, as you were sort of talking about in the Amazon section. Um, and so online shopping actually comes out a little bit lower than in-store shopping for carbon footprint, if you're including a car. Um, however, for rushed online shopping, so that would be if you get like quick delivery, uh, there's also a large footprint from just shipping the, the product more quickly, which often means you have to use air transport, right? So it's going through air freight. So like, in that case, then if you're if you have to do a rushed order, then it's actually better for you to just go in store from a carbon perspective, because you have both that like, higher carbon footprint from packaging, plus the higher carbon footprint from transport. So you take out the benefits of online shopping compared to in-person shopping and it ends up being much worse and I think that's like per particularly relevant for um, holiday shoppers because people are oftentimes in a rush so just buy it in store if that's the case I think yeah well and even if you're if your rush order isn't coming from so far away because there's a lot of Amazon warehouses nearby nowadays you know you're getting same day delivery that's obviously probably not coming in on an airplane but I found some interesting statistics as well that 
I'm going to just quote a CNN article, uh, and I'll share that as well. But basically, the time in transit has a direct relationship to the environmental impact, says Patrick Brown, Director of Global Sustainability at UPS. I don't think the average consumer understands the environmental impact of having something tomorrow versus two days from now. The more time you give me, the more efficient I can be. In theory, e-commerce can be greener than a bunch of shoppers making personal trips in their own cars. Consolidating products and delivering them on one route to a bunch of homes requires fewer fewer miles on the road. In a 2012 study, University of Washington professor Anne Goodchild found that grocery delivery can cut between 80% and 90% of carbon emissions, for example, compared to consumers going to pick up their items on their own. However, she says that calculus changes significantly if items are coming from further away and have to be sent immediately, which creates fewer opportunities for lumping deliveries together. The efficiency... And those benefits of delivery came from consolidation and sharing a big vehicle, Goodchild says. And as we move away from that, if we move towards basically paying someone to make the trip for us, a lot of those benefits are eroded. Right, yeah. There's already evidence that e-commerce consumers may be able to be gently pushed towards less harmful choices, a Research scientist at MIT's Center for Transportation and Logistics found in a test in Mexico that 52% of consumers were willing to wait longer when told at checkout that slower shipping would save trees. Sometimes all that needs to happen is reframing the decision by relabeling standard shipping as green shipping and making it the default option so that shoppers have to proactively choose the faster speed rather than the other way around. Yeah, I like that. Just sort of gives people a reminder of you know, this might be slightly less convenient for you, but there are a lot of other benefits as well. Yeah, and then something else to think about, and this is from a BuzzFeed News article, uh, on an item-by-item basis, whether home delivery is greener depends on how many items you buy per trip. We don't replace one shopping trip with one delivery. We replace it with four or five or six home deliveries, said um, Mackenzie. I don't know Yeah, who that is. I only took part of the quote, (laughs) but consumers (laughs) also take advantage of lenient return policies, which multiplies the number of vehicle miles traveled. Many companies offer free returns, which creates more traffic. If you don't need it, don't buy it. The consequences of all those different orders shipped separately and returned for free is more cars, more trucks, more planes, and more cardboard. People aren't offsetting the traffic to shopping malls and grocery stores by buying online. The problem is we are still doing both, meaning there are more emissions and more congestion. Yeah, we're just shopping more. <laughs> <laughs> like, like if you just stayed home and ordered online and never returned anything and got it all in bulk, great. But a lot of people, I do this, I go to the store, I'm looking for something, I don't see it, I order it online, but then I've still made a trip to the store, you know what I mean? So that's most of the information that I that I have on on online shopping is that basically just like with Christmas trees and literally everything else, it's complicated and it depends is kind of the answer. I mean, it seems like the general principles that work for online shopping is just similar to everything else, right? Like really question whether you actually need something. So consume less, ideally, and then be, be patient about <laughs> it. You know? And and. What a holiday episode. Yeah, look for companies that are trying. I think that's like something I want to go back to pretty much every time. But even if certain companies aren't perfect, if sustainability is at like the forefront of their values, they're probably going to do better than 
the big companies that are being pushed to greenwash, you know? Yeah, and like we recognize that the holidays are tricky. You want I you don't want to be the person who doesn't buy presents, yeah. people, right? <laughs> But gifting experiences goes a long way, you know, you, you can gift, like I gifted you charity donations. So there's, there's other options, but yeah, we get it. You just have to be, you just have to think about the things you buy. Yeah. And like, I think over time, just like establishing those norms with people, you know, like maybe if the workplace does a secret Santa instead of having everybody exchange gifts, that might leave everybody better off. Exactly. I love secret Santa personally. Yeah. It injects a sense of mystery, which I enjoy. <laughs> What about those people who draw their own name from the Secret Santa hat and then don't tell anyone? <laughs> and then they just buy themselves a present? I've never personally experienced that, but that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess our call to action this week, you had a really good one. Yes, I can't remember it right now, though. Oh, yes. Um, so when you receive your gift wrap, make sure that you are not contaminating recycling bins with non-recyclable gift wrap. And if you are recycling it, Remember to take off the tape and the ribbons. Don't want to be contaminating that recycling bin. And if you use gift wrap or receive gift wrap that isn't recyclable, reuse it. You know, find a way to upcycle it or reuse it for the purpose that it was originally intended, which is wrapping future gifts. <laughs> I love it. So <laughs> I'm going to just give everyone a teaser now that we're at the end of our episode about what we're going to be talking about next week. Are you ready? Exciting. Yes, we're going to be talking about alcohol. Happy New Year. <laughs> and Kristen and I, in the spirit of the holiday, will be recording that episode drunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully only like a little toasty, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, we'll have to decide if we want to pre-drink before we start recording. <laughs> Next week, we're going to be talking about alcohol. And then going into the new year, we're going to be going to our bi-weekly episode release. So right now we're releasing an episode every week, but that's just to warm us up while we get this podcast off the ground. In the new year, we are going to be doing it every two weeks, unless we just, I don't know, suddenly our schedules really open up. <laughs> <laughs> so um. I think we should do something that we haven't done yet on this podcast, which is to ask people to please give us a review on your podcasting platform choice and to recommend this podcast to your friends. Yes, and I would like to just say thank you to everybody who's been listening so far. We've gotten so much amazing feedback. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you to the people who have already left us a rating. We have not asked for that, and they just <laughs> did it. So you guys are the real MVPs. We love it. For Christmas this year, Kristen and I don't need presents. We just need five-star reviews. Like, write something <laughs> really nice about us. We really appreciate it's it. It's got a really co low-carbon footprint, that gift. <laughs> 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 and this week we're also going to start uh we want to because our episodes can be a little bit depressing we want to end on a really positive note and we're going to shout out a supportive person so somebody who's been supportive uh probably the first few episodes we'll be shouting out people we actually know but if this continues to grow then we'll be able to shout out people who send nice tweets or really nice emails and this week I want to shout out my friend Bruce, who was able to listen to one of our early episodes and gave us some really great feedback. Thanks, Bruce. You've been a great pal. Yeah, he's been like a very good friend of ours since high school, and he's a total boss, and he's written a book that we're going to link to that you should totally check out. Yeah, too. it's very fun. And if you're, um, especially if you're from Canada, I 
I really enjoyed the Edmonton specific focus of that book, which is called The Melting Queen. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. So we'll shout out Bruce. And then Kristen wanted to shout out Kathleen, I think. Yeah, we'll shout out Kathleen because we've already made fun of her for dressing her dog. <laughs> so <laughs> She's like one of the kindest people. Yeah, she is. She's genuinely like uh, one of the most sort of encouraging and energetic people. I've been very close with Kathleen for a while, so... I wasn't surprised when she was very supportive of the podcast, but I do really appreciate it anyway. So thanks, Kathleen. So thank you to our two shoutouts of the week. Thank you to everybody who has already left a rating or a review. And thank you to everybody who's listening to this. You guys are the best. And we'll catch you next week when we're drinking <laughs> for our alcohol episode. Bye. <laughs>